This episode of the Changemakers 30 Under 30 podcast is brought to you by Pure Podiatry of Western New York. Pure Podiatry of Western New York provides comprehensive podiatry service and high-level patient care. Their goal is to provide their clients with proper treatment and diagnosis in a comfortable and professional environment. Visit purepodiatryofwny.com for more information or to book your appointment. Hey everyone, to all of our listeners here in Western New York and followers all across the globe, welcome back to the Changemakers 30 Under 30 podcast show. I am your hostess, Amber Quinney, better known as Business Amber across the social media world. You are tuning in to episode three of the Changemakers 30 Under 30 podcast show, and I want to first say to you, thank you for tuning in. And second, I want to personally invite you to join the conversation every week as we're getting the behind the scenes, the backstories and insights of some of Western New York's most brilliant minds. For anyone who may not know, the Changemakers 30 Under 30 award show is the largest millennial award show in Western New York. So to sit down every week and have these candid conversations around change and what it means to be a change maker is absolutely incredible and inspiring. So again, I invite you to tune in every week, every Wednesday. We're streaming on all major platforms and um, catch this vibe. Because Changemakers 30 Under 30 is definitely a vibe, and these alumni out here, they not playing. So before I introduce you to you, our next special guest, remember to grab your tickets to the awards show ASAP, like yesterday. Tickets are available at changemakers30under30.com, so you want to grab your ticket early, get your gear together, grab your date or your crew I've had the pleasure of attending the award show in the past, and I really enjoyed it. it. This is an upscale, classy event celebrating millennial move makers, trailblazers, and real life change makers. So grab your ticket. I'm looking forward to seeing you and celebrating the class of 2018. Now, today's special guest is really a special one. She's actually an honoree from the inaugural class. The first ever 30 Under 30 award show, class of 2011. I'm excited to introduce her to you. This is actually my first time meeting her as well. But based on what I've learned about her so far, she's real deal. So allow me to introduce to you entrepreneur, media personality, and 30 Under 30 alumna, Miss Kina Zantel. Hey, hey. Hey. How you doing? I'm well. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, we are glad to have you. We appreciate your time. So, um, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. So, as I mentioned earlier, uh, every week we've been sitting down mm-hmm. and talking with 30 Under 30 alum and hearing their stories, talking about you all's stories and how the work that you are doing, that you are leading, is really driving change throughout Western New York and, in many cases, across the world. Mm-hmm. So, um Let's get into it. Tell us about who you are, what you do, and um, what do you remember about your your where you were when you received the um, Changemakers 30 Under 30 that award? That is an awesome question. Um, and 
It's interesting looking back into your past. There was a lot of great things going on in Buffalo back then, and I was excited just to be a part of the inaugural event. I was in a class with some pretty exceptional people, so I'm just excited to be here again. Thank you for having me on the show. Um, So what have I been up to lately? So I am working in my passion, so I'm like blessed to be able to do that these days. Uh, My background's in government and politics, so when I first got the award, I was the campaign manager for Watkins for Mayor. He was the first African-American to run for the mayor's office in the city of Lackawanna, which is a suburb of Buffalo, in easily a good 75 years. Um, It's crazy because history repeats itself. My great-grandfather, Gilbert Chillis, was actually the first African-American man to get the Democratic nomination for mayor for the city of Lackawanna way back in the day. So it was kind of awesome to kind of see my family's history become, you know, kind of go full circle. So again, my background's in government and politics. While I was working on that campaign, I was a staffer for New York State Senator Tim Kennedy. He was an awesome boss. I learned everything there is to know about politics and government and how, you know, they are two different worlds and you have to separate them to be an ethical government or public servant you have to split the two and these days you're seeing a ton of examples of how when you don't separate the two it can get you in a little bit of trouble like felony trouble so you know my first kind of introduction to the broader community was in that role Um, when I left that office I started my um, public relations company that's public relations and event planning inc or prep inc and i did a few events in the community and now i am spending the majority of my time working on the surge 2018 so i've talked about this a little bit on my podcast let you all know i have a podcast called citizen the pod um But the surge 2018 is focusing on putting that same energy we use to send troops into war um, in Iraq and Afghanistan back in the, I want to say, 2007, 2008, after the Iraq war. I want us to use that same energy to surge the polls. So so the surge 2018 is really about getting people excited and ready to participate in the midterm election in November. Yeah. Is there a particular age group? in mind that your podcast or your mission your work is targeting i'm actually i feel like i'm targeting new voters the voters that usually get overlooked in a traditional political campaign um the way we usually red campaigns usually work is their goal is to go after prime voters and i guess the logic there is you don't want to recreate the wheel You know, you don't want to go after people who don't already engage. You want to engage the ones that do. But what the election of President Barack Obama taught us and should have taught the Democratic Party was that it's important for us to create new voters. It's to go out there and go into communities that weren't usually, you know, energized or thrown into the political system. It's our goal to get them in the fray, to make them basically new voters. So... You know, that is pretty much the group I think that I'm trying to engage. I mean, those who are civically engaged or care about politics don't go out their way 
to get information. It's easy for them because they're probably already tapped into the right networks. But what we see with new voters is because they're not tapped into any network, it's our job to go out there and kind of grab them and get them into the fray. Um, and we're seeing that happen with a few just kind of grassroots races across the country. So, you know, hey, if we don't start looking at the electorate as a, and creating this much broader pot of people who are going to participate, one, we're not going to see that diversity in the legislation that moves forward that actually affects us. Um, and two, we're going to limit how far we can really grow as a party. So that is... You That's know what the amazing, is. excellent. Thank you, thank, thank you, you <laughs> right for for being a leader in that line of work. How do you get new voters to know and to see that voting is not only their right, but it's a necessity. It's almost their responsibility. How do you get that? And I'll say us because mm -hmm. I'm in that peer group to see that. Mm -hmm. It's it's difficult, but simple grassroots organizing techniques is either is the only way for us to get new voters to the pot to the polls um you know knocking on doors canvassing making phone calls is important but what i stress when it comes to the surge 2018 is i'm asking those who listen to the podcast and who are in my circle to really focus on their tribe right you have a collective network you should make sure that your network is engaged at bare minimum so if it means just sending that text to your friend saying is everybody on that text chain on that text chain registered to vote and if someone isn't you need to make sure they get registered. Simple as that. Or, you know, when you're at work, I mean, I know at work you're not supposed to talk about politics, but I feel like you have your close work cohort. It does not hurt you to just have that conversation. Hey, is everyone registered to vote? I, and I would consider this movement nonpartisan in that respect um, because I want everyone to engage no matter what their voice is. I don't think we should be shunning or looking down at traditionally conservative you know voices but we really need to make sure everyone's engaged without that things can run amok yeah i i admire how you see value in the relationships we have like right. we already have mm -hmm. being able to reach out to people that you know and sort of pass on the word and continue to push the cause i think a lot of times people feel like well if i vote what difference is it going to make how do you get people to see that like wait actually you casting your vote it does make a difference mm -hmm. they'll say whether it's local or state or or or, or, or uh, nationwide or federal government they're like well what what is my vote? How does it make a difference? Mm -hmm. How is it going to change anything? And I think that's it's important. Again, you're always more comfortable having serious conversations with the people you care about for the most part. It's like easier for you to be in an uncomfortable conversation with someone that you know and love. Um, so, again, start with that group. Start engaging them. An example I will give to you is the election that I worked on for – Dion Watkins, we lost that mayor's office. Well, we lost that mayor's office race by 15 votes. Wow. 15. At the end of the night, we were able to go back into our own um, voter list and literally see who in the community did not vote. Like, I, I was, I could visually say, okay, that's my friend's father, and he didn't show up to the polls. Like, how, how did we miss these people? And to be quite honest, we didn't miss very many people. 
Like, we didn't miss very many at all. Um, prior to our goals and objectives during the election were to beat Obama's numbers, especially in the majority African-American minority community. So when we, by the end of the night, I think Obama had did 856, we had did 925. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it can... It can be done with the right kind of candidate, the right kind of organization, and, you know, just with the right kind of enthusiasm working into, you know, walking into election day. But it's hard. Like, I mean, it's easy for us to have this conversation, you know, over a podcast. And again, I'm going to thank everybody who's out there listening because everything that is Changemakers is awesome. Um it's really easy to, like I said, it's really easy to engage people who are already in the process. But to get folks to understand what's important to them really takes that one-on-one conversation. You really got to delve into their lives and what their dreams are and then say, hey, in order to do that, you should do X, Y, and Z. Oh, and let me tell you how government is affecting that and why you need to go vote in November. Exactly. I think you just hit it right on the nail I was, I'll say, I was 17 years old when Trayvon Martin died. He mm. was 17 years old, and I, I had turned 18, and I was able to vote. And now I could say, you know, I vote because Trayvon can. I mean, for many other reasons, awesome. but the point that you yeah. just made, like, how is it connected to your dreams, your life, you being a change maker and creating the world that you want to live in? Mm-hmm. So for me, I'll say, you know, he can't vote. So I, you know, and I think it was at that point, honestly, I was like, oh, I got a, a taste of what real world we actually live in. Yes. I was 17, too, Yeah, when his life was taken away from him. So with that, I want to know, what does it mean to you to be a change maker, whether it's in your realm of work, politics, grassroots and government or just... In general, what does it mean to you to be a change maker? What does it mean to me? Um, I think being a change maker has different definitions for different people. Um, I don't want what I don't want young people to do is to compare their journey towards wherever their dream is to someone else's. Mm-hmm. So. You know, I think what makes a change maker is just someone who's always going after it. Like every time you fall, you get back up. Like that is what makes you a change maker to me. You know, you have different dreams and you're willing to do whatever it takes to go after that. Like that to me makes you a change maker because change starts from within, right? So if you're always going after your dreams and your goals and you're just always being positive other people will feed off of that energy and they will start to either live their dream or support you in yours. So, you know, I just think that change makers is a really about like a mentality. It's just, it's just not about that, the, you know, kind of everyday things that we do. It's about the small things that kind of help you reach your goal, right? And people don't see that. Like, people don't see the struggle. They don't post failure on social media, right? So, you know, just stay positive and stay in your grind and don't let anybody get in the way of that. But, you know, just just think your things through and just be yourself. At the end of the day, just be yourself. And that's what a change maker is, embracing it. Embracing that. Talk to us about what's your relationship with the region, Buffalo, Western New York. I know that you say your family has strong ties here, mm-hmm. but what's driven you to be to, to remain committed to this region? Um, because not much 
has changed. Not much has changed at all. I mean, you know, just like communities in the South and on the West Coast, voters feel like they're not being listened to, right? People are taking these positions and becoming career politicians and not remaining public servants. That whole entrenchment in a political way of life and things don't change and the haves and haves nots, that dynamic appears in politics. And it's entrenched here in Western New York. I I had a mentor say to me once before, if you can make it in politics in Buffalo, you can make it anywhere. And I didn't understand what he meant when he said it, but then when I got into politics here, I realized he was right. And I see those same dynamics all across this country, but I'm also excited to see, you know, like I said, candidates who believe in themselves and believe that they have a message that don't fall into the status quo electability bracket or just the definition of what the parties will say is electability deciding, well, I don't care if I'm not what you're used to, but I'm going to work hard to get it. And we see that with, you know, the election of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez in New York, um, on New York City. We see that with Stacey Abrams in Georgia. We see that with Pullum running for governor in Florida. I mean, we have a Native American woman running for governor, I believe, of Arizona or Nevada. We have our first um, Somali Somali-born citizen, and I'm not even sure if she was born in Somalia, um, but she is a Muslim American woman running for a congressional seat, and I want to say Michigan. I mean, women have just decided enough is enough. Let's talk about it. And we have over 200 women running for congressional and Senate seats this year. Like, we haven't seen this many women run for office since the 90s after the Anita Hill Thomas hearings. Like back in those days, women after seeing her testify in front of Congress and her kind of get berated by male politicians, there was a surge of women then deciding, you know what, we need to be represented in Congress so that another woman who has to, you know, come in front of Congress and plead her case or at least expose something that may not be right, um, so she does, so she has a voice and she's not being beaten up. Yeah. So, you know, I don't know if it was, I, I don't even think that it was, I don't think the surge now is a Me Too movement thing. I think that, you know, back then could definitely be considered kind of like a Me Too movement surge. But I think now it's a Me Too movement plus Donald Trump surge. Like it's just, mm. we need more representation from women so that we don't have issues of women being scared to go work on the Hill because you don't know what male congressman you may end up working for and does he blur the line? I mean, non-disclosure agreements are real. Um, They've been signed by victims of sexual abuse, sexual assault, um, who've worked in Congress in the past, and those congressmen are still collecting their pension. Wow. Like, we still pay for them even though they had a credible case and you know but because these women they can't so these guys were able to serve out their terms honorably and i'm air quoting this folks honorably and still collect their pensions but think about all the women who couldn't take it 
who just walked away, right? Who wow. didn't even say anything, who were scared to speak up. I mean, it's it's just so important for us to vote and to get engaged. Everyone doesn't have to run for office, but we've got to start standing for something. And in any little way you can do that these days, we appreciate it and we need it. So I don't work in politics, mm-hmm. but what I know about politics or what I've learned growing up is that mm-hmm. politics is hard because... Traditionally, in a lot of communities, um, I'll say African-American communities in particular that mm-hmm. I've been a part of or other minority communities, mm-hmm. the, the narrative is, oh, I don't do politics or I stay out of politics or I'm not into politics. Mm-hmm. And so there is such an air of ignorance. We can't even begin to have these kind of conversations yes. because we're not even, one, we're not at the table to yeah. have them, but two, we're not even opening our mouths and opening our ears right. to be in the conversation, mm-hmm. in the know, mm-hmm. in, whether it's on the news or what have you. So how do we change that narrative? Mm-hmm. Um, I think we're seeing uh, some some tide shifting because what's happening in Washington is now being tweeted. I think before politicians were what folks are kind of describing now, they kind of lived in their avatar suits before. um, And because social media didn't exist for so long, that access, that, that, everyday access to their thoughts and their opinions wasn't there before but now you know with the emergence of like the coolness of Barack Obama right because he actually made like politics cool seeing this younger guy with vibrancy does he wasn't gray hair and old like doing a few speeches like no it wasn't like he wasn't this guy who just seemed far off to us you know Barack he him and his campaign did a really good job and making us feel like we were a part of this thing that was happening. So he kind of opened up the social media floodgate, right? Because I feel like to some extent there's too much of it now, right? We would all at this point prefer a president that didn't tweet. Um, but then we have that that avatar 2. Point, oh, well, actually, no, I'm going to take that back. We've had someone become president because he shed the shell. Like, he decided, I'm not going to be what you want me to be. I'm going to be myself at all times. So At anybody's expense. At anyone's everybody's expense. At, yes, like, at, <laughs> at this country's expense. expense. Like, so mm-hmm. we've had someone kind of decide that, I'm not even going to be fake. I'm going to be me. And you've got to accept me walking into the White House. And a good chunk of people did exactly that. Like, we wanted change 2.0. Like, we were getting hope and change with Barack Obama. But what they didn't, what we didn't realize is he was still, he still had a love for the institution that was government and his hopefulness um, uh, is what kind of is the way in which he governed. He governed like a regular politician, like nothing. A there were there. Yes, they're like it was change happened. He was able to get like small pieces done. So we got the Affordable Care Act under Obama. We got two female um, justices put onto the Supreme Court. Like we re- like we got small like snails pace change but then so so those voters who voted for obama then said 
we're like we're drowning here snail's pace change is not enough for us we need someone to go in with a hammer or a bat and just swing i mean like literally swing at everything swing at every institution question everybody and it's just like the problem with him is like i wish that he had a brain like president obama one that thought and was like methodical about the things that he did um and the change that he wanted to see and he was he was just he was just willing to think it through and he cared about every side of the coin when making decisions we have someone who only darts at the things that are politically expedient for him like a true new york city real estate shark is in the White House, and they'll do any and everything to make sure the deal is best for them, and not anybody else. And that is how he operates. That is how he governs. And what what can we say? I mean, there's no way to get around that. On point. <laughs> like I'm just like, well, where's the lie? <laughs> <laughs> Good. Right. Kina, if you could call attention to any one issue. What issue would it be and what would be your call to action? Yo, right now everything is on the line, people. Like <laughs> everything is on the straight line like that. <laughs> like straight like that. Like listen up, folks. Um so I think right now, oh my god, it's mm. so many. Um but the one thing that pops into my head at the end of the day is right now the Voting Rights Act is like under siege. Like it's that serious. Um and let me give you some examples of like just the shadiness of it. Um, so I want to say back in 2013, there was a Supreme Court decision that took away a, a protection in the Voting Rights Act that narrowed, like that zoomed into like states that were traditionally stopping folks from voting. It was like a provision that was put into the Voting Rights Act that made states like Georgia and because we know that's a hey, where anywhere that there were Jim Crow laws, we knew that they took it upon themselves to really hinder our access to the voting booth. So the Supreme Court makes this decision to basically say this provision is no longer needed because we've we've come full circle as a country, right? That protection there to make sure like there's equal access to voting polls, like to the polls, was basically ruled down by the Supreme Court in a nutshell saying, we've come full circle. We don't have those issues, you know, we don't have those issues anymore. So we don't need this law, we don't need this provision in the Voting Rights Act. So that's like number one. Um, number two, they made corporations people. So that means they can give unlimited amounts of money and they can spend unlimited amounts of money on campaigns. Meaning, hey, if I if, if a CEO wakes up in the morning and says that he doesn't like a certain politician, he can decide to give his his opponent a million dollars, just like money through super PACs, political action committees, um, so that he can win. Because essentially another part of voting and access to voters is like a business marketing campaign like you need to get access to people a certain amount of time in order for them to be okay with voting for you like and i believe that's like a marketing principle like touches is what we sometimes call it so if you got a lot of money you can get a lot of touches you can put up billboards you can do commercials and all that other good stuff so 
And then now we see that this administration is currently, you know, and the Supreme Court is upholding the idea that states can purge voters from their voting rolls. So because of inactivity, you can be kicked off. Like you can just be kicked out of the voting polls, so the voter roll. So you can decide to show up. You know you've been registered to vote at your mom house for 10 years, but you haven't voted in the last six. But, hey, you don't think I didn't get no notice in the mail saying I can't vote. When you get there, your wow. name's not in the book. Wow. Like, and every state can decide what inactivity is. So a harsher state can decide inactivity is if you didn't vote in the last two elections. Well, the last two elections could easily be a local, like say it was a school board election and a a city council election. They can decide what those two elections are and be shady. Like, and they could have happened in the last six months. We, I mean, New York is having a primary on September 13th, but we also had, I want to say, school board elections, a congressional election this year. They, they, they're writing the rules to keep us from having access to the only thing that we have that gives us a say. And to me, that is the reason why the surge 2018 exists. And, you know, I'm going to just keep fighting for that right to vote, even after today, because 2020 is going to be just as big as November. Well, won't it be? Won't it be? I think mm-hmm. a mouthful. I definitely at towards the end and we're wrapping up. want to give you an opportunity to plug yourself. Where can people find you? Where can people keep up with the movement, the mission that you are leading? I think it, you just said a mouthful. Mm-hmm. Like talk about disenfranchisement, Pe- literally yes. systems in place to deprive you, us, of yes. our right to vote. And yeah. so we don't have too much time here on this podcast show, but I definitely want to tune in to your podcast and I want our audience to continue to follow you because you are a change maker yeah change maker guys that being said um, (laughs) as we wrap up I always uh, give our change makers a fill in the blank that Mm -hmm. I have so wouldn't it be amazing if and kind of just fill in the blank okay that's my question (laughs) so like I'll give you an example I'm a girls and women advocate I, I i love advocating for women and girls especially those of us of color african-american women so i'd say wouldn't it be amazing if women and girls of color lived in a world where they loved the skin they were in there love the body that they mm. were built in or born into and they didn't they weren't taught or conditioned to think less of themselves mm. wouldn't it be amazing if Michelle Obama ran for office. Woo! She runs for that presidency, okay? <laughs> Got a campaign made right here. <laughs> I'm just saying, that would be amazing. But you know what? It, Michelle doesn't want the job. I don't blame her, girl. Live your life. You've been on yachts and stuff. You're going to Beyonce concerts. Auntie. Keep, I mean, keep living your best life, all right? But let's have a black or Hispanic um, or Indian or any minority woman you know take take a residency at the white house that would be like okay that that would change my life for real it would be amazing and i believe we'll see it in our lifetime oh, that's well, what i believe ooh, that's girl. what i know that's what i believe so <laughs> she is way more hopeful than me all right maybe i need to you know get a little bit more positive about that but yeah th- thank you for being excited about that you're welcome well, folks, thank you for tuning in to episode three of the Changemakers 30 Under 30 podcast. Remember to grab your tickets, changemakers30under30.com, and follow us on Instagram at changemakers30under30 and like the Facebook cha- page, 
Changemakers 30 Under 30. While I'm saying that, Kino, what, where can people find you or follow you? Social media handles. Yep. Um, okay, Facebook, you can find me at Kina Zontel. Instagram, you can find me at at the surge 2018. You can also find me on Twitter at the surge 2018 and on Twitter as Citizen the Pod. So Citizen the Pod is my personal handle on Twitter at the surge is like the movement handle. So you can find me at any of those. Okay, make sure make sure we follow Kina. As I always say, be the difference that you want to see in this world. Know that change doesn't come to us, it comes through us. And each of us, we are the very change that we are dying to see and feel and live in this world. And I'll say for myself, I began to see the change, recognize change in my world when I became the solution that I was looking for. You know, I became the answer to my own prayers or the problems my community was facing. So I challenge our, I challenge all of us, our audience members, our listeners, our entire community to be the difference you want to see in the world. So that being said, have a positive, productive, and peaceful week. And I will be back with you next week.